0: Hello friends and welcome to Conversations with Consequences. We are the radio show and podcast of the Catholic Association, where we aim to change the culture one conversation at a time. You can listen to Conversations with Consequences on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. Eastern or catch the Encore at 5 p.m. We are also on Sirius XM Channel 130. Of course, our radio show is always a podcast go to thecatholicassociation.org slash podcasts or directly to wherever you listen to your podcasts. At the bottom of the hour, we have Catherine Jean Lopez, editor-at-large of the National Review with us to discuss her experience at the March for Life and where we go from here. But first, we are very happy to have Father Jeffrey Kirby back with us He's a Catholic priest at Our Lady of Grace Parish in Indian Land, South Carolina. He's going to discuss the touchy subject of the latest Vatican Statement on same-sex blessings. He offers us a pastor's view as a shepherd of his church and what living in a state of grace really means. Welcome to the show, Father Kirby.
1: Thank you. It's good to be with you.
0: Recently on the National Catholic Register website, I read a piece that you wrote um, that was so good. It was, it was exactly, to my mind, it, it had exactly the right blend of common sense and common theological sense, but also realism on something that, uh, for a lot of Catholics, including me and every, every Catholic I know, has been a worrisome development. And of course, I'm talking about Fiducia Supplicants. And your yes. article was called Fiducia Supplicans: A Pastor's View. Everything you wrote was infused with great charity. And I was hoping that you could, for our listeners on Conversations with Consequences, you could transmit that view for us on, on the radio, on our podcast.
1: Yeah, so first of all, I, I very much appreciate this opportunity. And, you know, the, the article just, you know, was definitely, you know, things were in my mind, my heart. I, I think we were all caught off guard by uh, the Vatican Declaration. And part of this writing the column was actually just... Processing my, my own thoughts, concerns, uh, frustrations with the document. And uh, from what people said, I think that came across where it was, you know, sincere questions. It was, you know, a desire for pastoral care. It was expressing some frustration. Because, you know, the, the, the big point is that, you know, the, the, the halls of Vatican dicasteries are very different from the trenches of parish life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And sometimes when it comes to the pastoral, there there might be a a little more deference shown to the real experience of parish life Mm -hmm. and and the real struggles. Because sometimes, you know, Vatican dicasteries, you know, they work with international movements and organizations, and sometimes they forget the grassroots. So, you know, a decision, for example, of blessing gay couples might sound... You know, very pastoral on the international level because you're dealing with all these organizations and movements and and so on. But you go to the grassroots and you realize, well, now you've just confused the faithful. You've put local pastors in a really difficult situation. You've disappointed and hurt people who are trying to fight the good fight and follow the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, for example, the document was released. You know, in mid-December, some of my parishioners were still licking their wounds from encounters with family members at Thanksgiving mm. over some of the issues addressed uh, in the Vatican Declaration. You have parents who have adult children who are living gay lifestyles, who are trying to to walk that that fine line of of you know welcoming and 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 loving their child, their adult child, while also holding the line. You know, in terms of, of, you know, not saying this gay lifestyle is not acceptable and, and, and you know, what you're doing is, is is not good. And, you know, and then also just, you know, the divorce and remarried, you know, it's like, you know, do you, you, know, do you invite the uncle and his mistress to, to, to Thanksgiving and then when you don't, it becomes a big issue. And then the cohabitating couple who wants to host Thanksgiving and all, you know, just like the real issues that the people of God face. And I tell you, all they really ask for from the church is clarity and support. And perhaps unintentionally, the declaration showed very little support to the people of God in the trenches who are doing the best they can. Because to them, it appeared as if, well, now there's compromise. Now this is one more thing my family member can use against me as I'm trying to uphold the gospel way of life.
0: In the document, and, and I think in the worldview of, of those who support the blessing of irregular unions, there's this idea that that justice and mercy are opposed, that, mm. that some things might be just, in the way we conduct ourselves as a church and as a people, may be just, but they're not merciful. What do you think of that statement, justice and mercy are opposed?
1: Yes, I think it's regrettable because... It just shows how the contemporary world has redefined our words. You know, they redefined love, they redefined freedom, they redefine life, they redefine mercy, they redefined justice. And, and when you've redefined words, well then they can mean whatever you, mean whatever you want and they can conflict however you, a person would want them to. Because we go to the scriptures and we look at the relationship between mercy and justice, mercy is actually the fulfillment of justice. Mm-hmm as christians we understand this because this is why the eternal son of god chose to die on the cross he was fulfilling justice so he could then offer mercy so that's like oftentimes people get you know very upset when they hear the call to mercy and they say well i can't forgive this person because what they did was wrong it's like we yeah, yes okay yes right what they did was wrong but by showing mercy you're not validating or showing approval for what they did in fact what you're doing mercy ultimately is the gift of freedom it's saying to the other person i hold no vengeance and I give you the freedom to change so i can give someone mercy while still expecting consequences to be played out I oftentimes tell people you know when there was the attempted assassination of pope john paul ii in 1981 after the holy father recovered he went and visited the would-be assassin they prayed together they spent a little bit of time together and at the end of the visit the holy father went back to the vatican and it would-be assassins state in prison where he needed to be because he had to fulfill the consequences of his action. So we can be merciful while still expecting justice to be fulfilled. In fact, we have to, otherwise our mercy, our attempts at mercy, just become permissiveness and approval for anyone to do whatever they want. And people think that everything's okay and everything becomes acceptable. So I think we just have to go back to the biblical understanding that Justice and mercy are twins,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and they always walk together, and they're always smiling at one another.
0: If in the current culture's idea of mercy, mercy really is indifferentism, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a being indifferent to to things that are deeply wrong and and all the ways that these wrong things hurt us and hurt other people, right? And so yes. we so we say we can yes. shrug it up. We can say, oh, I'm I'm understanding. I'm merciful. These everything that people do, everything that people do. Everything that people that a person does comes from a moment comes from a place of love or hurt. And so I can be I should be merciful. But what it means is just being indifferent to to the things that are evil and not wanting yes. and not wanting them to see and not wanting to see those things stamped out of the person you love, right? Like if i had a if I had a child who was a bank robber, I would love that child, but i would i would I would want to see that the thing that t- that drives them to rob the banks stamped out of him. Wouldn't, wouldn't
1: yeah. that be true mercy? Yes, absolutely. And in fact, you know, this contemporary notion of mercy, as is, is, is you're describing, isn't in, is differentism. It, it, it ultimately is just being callous to the person because we can see that a person's behavior is hurting them, but because we so much want to be accepted or loved by them that we're willing to not speak the truth. And, and that that's not love. You know that the, Love speaks the truth. It's patient, it's kind, it's not rude, but it speaks the truth. Love bears all things. Love never fails. And so love has to speak the truth. And if someone thinks they're loving someone, but they're not going to say something is wrong, but they're not going to call the person to change, then ultimately that's not love. I right? When I look at my own life, the people who have most loved me are the people who have most called me on to greater virtue, mm-hmm. and there have been times where I've been frustrated with them. There have been quiet moments in, in my relationship with them, but in the long run, I know they're right, and I was glad they spoke the truth because they offered me the gift of freedom from what was wrong or what was hurting me.
0: The one, you, the, when, the one that you truly love. When you truly love somebody, you want to rip away from them everything that dirties and disfigures them. Right? Like you want to see their their face shining in in purity and. And and cleanliness and, and and the health, right? The moral health of someone who is walking hand in hand with God—that's what you want for yes. your beloved.
1: Yes, absolutely, and that's why you. Know, if, if we think of uh, this understanding of love, and we put it in context, you know, to you know the you know the 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 the, the parents who say to their adult, adult child, uh, "You are always welcome in our home. We want you to come for Thanksgiving. We want you to come for Christmas." But because you're in this relationship that is not healthy, that is not good, that is against the gospel, that can hurt you in this life and hurt you in terms of eternity, then your partner, how you describe this person, uh, cannot come with you, right? And, of course, you can imagine that just, you know, causes all type of problems. And the parents And father, father,
0: very real, very tragic problems in families. These are things. Oh, that, these are things that rip families apart and break hearts.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and, and and for you know, you know, people in love. So parents with their adult children, or you know, uh, people with their with their siblings, or you know, the, the extended family, their uh, friends, to to hold the line because they love, because they want to truly help the people they love to grow in virtue, to become, you know, more and more uh, in, in the likeness of God. And, and then to do that and to suffer the consequences in terms of like, you know, the, the chaos in the family and the name calling and, you know, all the things that happen. And in the midst of that, to have something like fiducia supplicants come, this Vatican declaration. And I'll tell you a lot of, a lot of the faithful felt as if they were stabbed in the back. Mm-hmm. They said, you know, I can take all the arrows towards me from the people I love that I'm trying to call on to, to greater virtue, to do the, to a good life. I, they said, I can take that. They said, but it always catches me off guard when it's a knife in the back. Mm-hmm. And it's just important that the senior leadership of our church hear that, realize that, and, and, you know, this column we're referencing, like, this was just my, kind of like raising my hand and saying, hey, as as, as a pastor in Indian land, South Carolina, um, in the trenches, um, there, there's some problems with this. and And maybe pay a little bit more attention to the grassroots as these decisions are being made, because whatever was intended, however well it was intended, that's not how... It played itself out.
0: Father Kirby, give us the best intent. Give us that argument that assumes the best intention of, of fiducia supplicants. What is the argument if, if you were to give it every benefit of the doubt and say this is the way it was positively intended? What is that good intention?
1: Okay, the best possible intention is that the church, in her pastoral expression, has no idea how to interact with the LGBTQ plus movement, which has grown in momentum and social acceptance and power. And the leadership of the church is attempting to build bridges and to show acceptance and openness and is willing to create these pastoral blessings that even the document says is innovative Um, and attempting to do this to show some type of receptivity and willingness to, you know, welcome and embrace those who are in the LGBT LGBTQ plus movement.
0: So a kind of meeting meeting people where they are, so you can sort of embrace them and then shepherd them into the the correct place in in, with others in their relationship with others.
1: Yeah, that's the best possible, but I, I would, I, I summarize that, but then I would have to say that is just, just marred by naivete.
0: And maybe the um, best sign of that naivete was the immediate response of people like Father Martin, uh, that we try not to talk about on this show, but Father Martin, who uh, then immediately very openly blessed in in, in the middle of a church, a um, church what seemed to me a uh, same sex couple that were not trying to be chaste. Um yes. but were but were were confirmed in their in their idea of how people could live uh, a sexual life and still feel that they were walking correctly with the Lord.
1: Yes, yes, yes. And and and, and you know, something I argued when I, I saw the picture and, and Father James Martin's tweets and so on so he he has just violated the declaration itself.
2: Mm-hmm. because yeah. we look
1: at the declaration it calls for you know uh this, this almost type of spontaneous you know blessing this you know very casual uh, you know these all of these restrictions you know and there can't be vestments it can't be formal prayers of the church it can't be at, at a formal ceremony um it can't, certainly can cannot be at a, at a gay wedding or at a, at a civil union ceremony and, and point by point by point by point and, and and if we took that document just at face value as, as you're asking and then Trying to show goodwill towards it, and and we just took all those you know boundaries that the document imposes. Then right away we see Father James Martin violate all of them because this wasn't casual and spontaneous. Mm-hmm. This was you know the front page of the New York it Times, wasn't in right? The,
0: in the sacristy or out in the parking lot or somewhere where yes. you could say, Father, you know we're trying really hard. Could you give us a blessing to help us on our way? That kind of thing. Yes. right? that's how that's right. how the, we charitably imagine it working out. <laughs>
1: right right and, and and what's interesting is the response has not been towards father james martin or others who i would argue are violating the declaration but we see the response being well why are the african bishops being so difficult and why are, are you know the eastern europeans being so difficult with this you know and it's like the the reaction to the responses also indicates a lot in terms of you know what what really is motivating this a declaration.
0: One of the ways that our modern culture is is so damaging, and we see it as parents and and uncles and aunts, and you as a priest in your parish, is the the complete abandonment of a sexual ethic. Uh, or not complete, because it's been reduced to adult consent, which is almost complete, right? I think, and many, and it's so close to complete abandonment of an ethic um, that we see. Uh, the, the enormous ramifications playing out in people's lives of, of abandoning this, abandoning the sexual ethic. We see it in the collapse of the family, the father, fatherless children. Um, we see it in the way that so many young people now are identifying as not heterosexual, like a huge percentage, almost half, I think, in, in some, in some places. And, that's reducing their possibility of forming a natural family one day and all the, all the beauties that come with that. It's, it's bad for their souls uh, yes. to, to say, Oh, there's no sexual ethic. I mean, it, it, it hits really hard on women and children, right. Objectifying women, um, abandoning women. And then of course, killing all the children in abortion that, that we're, that are not, have not been born in all these decades. Um, we see all this, and then we and then we get fiducia supplicants, and and we yeah. say to ourselves very sadly, the sexual ethic is one of the most the Christian the Judeo Christian sexual ethic is one of the most life saving life enhancing. Um. It's it's uh, things that you could possibly follow in your life, right? Like it's heaven, yes. it's heaven all the way to heaven. And yep. hell, and hell all the way to hell, as my, as my husband likes to say.
2: Is
0: yes. that, is that yep. what you're seeing in, in, in the pews of the faithful Catholics?
1: Absolutely. I think, you know, to, to those who are willing to, to give the obedience of faith, uh, to, to take that leap, to, to faithfully follow the way of the Lord Jesus, uh, to seek a life of virtue, to, to follow the teachings of the Church, uh, say, they, they see and experience the abundance of, of, of life and goodness and, and, you know, with, with the sexual teachings of the Church, I mean, you know, they, they are civilizing. Like, we, we forget historically, it was it was our understanding of marriage and family that that stabilized society mm-hmm. in the West. Mm-hmm. I mean, we forget that you know, it was barbarism before the Gospel. And and, and these are the very things that, that, that brought order and structure and, and, and grace to our fallen nature. And,
0: and the idea so of human, and, and it's tied in very closely with the idea of human dignity.
1: Right. I, I, very much, very much, very much. You know, but I'd say, you, you know, if we look at okay, we have fiduciary supplicants and 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 before that, I think two months before, or so, uh, you know, there was a decision that trans people could be godparents, and we're still trying to wrap our minds around that. You know, that's another issue that now has been thrown to parish life. And then sometime before that when the Holy Father met with trans young people, he said, and, and I was just shocked. It's like I, I please I hope that this is a, a mistranslation. But the Holy Father said to them that the church's teachings on sexuality are quote still in the diapers.
0: What? Yes. Wow, yes. I'm so, saw, I'm so glad
1: I missed that, Father. <laughs> yes. And I'm I'm thinking like, but but it, it just reflects you know almost an exaggeration. On the part of church leadership, to think that something is lacking in the gospel of life, that there has to be some type of adjustment or or update or accommodation in order for the gospel of life to work. And rather father, than realizing it's it's consent on its own. Yes. And
0: Father, as though we have discovered something new about sexual of human sexuality, there is nothing new under the sun. Uh, when, yep. when 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 um, when the first Christians um, were, were propagating the Christian sexual ethic, all the same sexual horrors were on display. The, the abandonment of, of babies uh, instead of abortion, because I guess abortion wasn't as handy as it is now, but the, the exposure of children, the prostitution of women and men, the, the, the absolute lack of the idea of a man being faithful to the mother of his children through life, that protectiveness... I mean, everything has, oh, and transgenderism, I mean, why not? I mean, yes, now science allows us to, to do surgical and hormonal alterations that were impossible before, but certainly men paraded around dressed as women. They always have, right, some? Um, so yes. these peop- some, the, the people nowadays, on, even in the church, are acting as though some new sexual revolution has happened or some new understanding of human sexuality. There is nothing new.
1: Yes, yes. And we forget that the greatest charity we can give to the world, the way in which we can be, most be, good Samaritans to the fallen world is by speaking the truth, presenting the understanding of the human person, a robust anthropology as it has been given to us by God, shown to us in the incarnation that God has become one of us and to share that with the human family so we can understand human dignity, the, the role of our sexual powers, complementarity. Let me tell you, one of the most beautiful and powerful gifts of creation is the complementarity between a man and a woman. You know, in, in my pastoral uh, outreach to to, especially to to men who are living the gay lifestyle, I, say, I tell them, listen, no matter how many friends you think you have, no matter how many supposed lovers you think you have, none of them can compare, none of them even come close to so the complementarity that you will find in a woman, you know, like whether it's in a romantic relationship or, 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 a close friendship, there's a complementarity between man and woman. That is the crown of creation. Like creation shines most, especially in the complementarity between man and woman. But all of this is lost when we're willing to dismiss and trust the gospel and the gospel of life and our understanding of sexuality and married life and ultimately human dignity. Like, all that is lost when we when we stop trusting the gospel we stop taking ourselves and the gospel seriously. And, and these are the consequences. I mean, who would have ever thought, I would never have imagined that I would live in a country that says with a straight face that two men can be married or two women or that I'm supposed to change the way I speak when an observably recognizable man tells me that he's really a woman or an observably recognizable woman tells me that she's a man. And I'm supposed to play along with that. Like that, that's just peculiar. Like it's a sign of the fallenness of the world just spiraling out of control.
0: That hits hard. And- that last bit father hits hard at the way that modern culture wants to dissociate us from the truth itself, the truth with a capital T, right? They want to make yes. everything contingent, everything in our lives they think should be contingent on Whatever the current mode of thought or fad is, and and truth doesn't exist. I mean, it's a very high level attack, I think, on, on yeah. us.
1: Yes, and then the consequences are imminent, dire, and very practical. You know, so you, you imagine the, the, the parents who, who trust and, and have, have sent their child to a school, and then the child comes home and says, uh, you know, they're a, a you know, biological male, and they're telling their parents down that they're a woman or a girl, you know, and, and suddenly now there are laws and there are penalties against parental authority. And then, you know, it, we, we, we just indulge and indulge this fallenness and we create laws and public policy and penalties in order to enforce it. Because at the end of the day, what we've lost is tranquility. Like, like we know that, that peace ultimately is found from the tranquility of order. So if I walk up to a tree and I say, you're a tulip, then I don't have peace with that tree or with that part of the world outside of me. It's when I die to myself and say, no, that really is a tree. I want it to be a tulip. I feel like it's a tulip. I'd really prefer it to be a tulip. It's not a tulip. I need to die to that. I need to understand this is a tree. It's by understanding that reality, accepting that reality that ultimately I have peace because it's a tranquility of order. But if I keep arguing that the tree is a tulip, then there's nothing but frustration and anger. And ultimately, I use my will to power to force other people to go along with accepting that that tree is really a tulip. And that's what we see in our society today, whether it's with the gay movement or the transgender movement, and all the other areas like, you know, reality is under attack.
0: Well, divorce and remarriage too, right? We, we what we're trying to teach, what we're trying to tell people is that that, that doesn't just violate every every piece of your heart and your mind to be told that the love that you swore would be eternal lasted three years and you couldn't swear again, right? And that, that yep. there's and that there's nothing wrong with that and that we should all accept that. Father, yes. we only have a minute left, but leave us with some, some hopeful words for, for faithful Catholics who are are understandably confused at this moment.
1: Yes. I would say that The leadership of the church sometimes will give pastoral norms or guidance or theological opinions that they think will do good. And in the course of time, sacred tradition will either affirm it because these things are really doing good or absorb it and fade them away because they're not doing good. So we can have confidence in the role of the Holy Spirit we can continue to get that obedience of faith to the gospel, continue to fight in the trenches, even when sometimes we seem perplexed by the decisions or the pastoral recommendations of of church leadership, we, in our discipleship, can keep fighting the good fight and remain faithful to the Lord.
0: Well, you heard it from Father Kirby, we will keep fighting the good fight and, and hope for better times. So, thank you so much, Father Kirby, for joining us on Conversations with Consequences.
1: My pleasure. God bless you.
0: Joining us next is Catherine Jean Lopez of National Review, who was on the ground, of course, at the March for Life in D.C. And she has always been a steadfast pro-life warrior, a strong advocate for adoption, which is close to my heart, of course. And she wrote a great piece recently in National Review called Want to Actually Get Somewhere on Abortion. So I thought we'd have her on because this has been a very difficult year for Mm. all of us because... It was it's like the I feel it's like the the dog that caught the car, right? So we've been chasing this car of the end of Roe v Wade, and all of us felt uh, very energized and and very secure that obviously it was an unjust decision and it had led to the death of millions of baby boys and girls. and that it had to end. it it was it was bad law. It was unjust and and it was deeply wrong. So finally, Roe v Wade ends. And it's almost like things are worse, in a sense. So am I being too dark, Catherine?
3: No, no. I I keep saying the same thing. Roe versus Wade was bad law, bad history, bad medicine, all of these things, right? That is, those are facts. And we need to remind ourselves of that because as we hear all these headlines, see all these headlines, there are so many you know, skirmishes in in the law and in politics. Ending Roe was a baby step, right? You know, and it was an important baby step, a crucial baby step. And we need to remind ourselves of that. I have to say that being in Washington for the March for Life this year, 51st year, when I go from New York to Washington, which I do often, I get off Amtrak. And the first thing I see is the Capitol building. And recently, over the last couple of months, I kind of get depressed. And my experience of the March for Life was totally different. Because you have these young people and you've been to the lunch that I host um every year the year uh, the day before the March for Life Mm -hmm. and this year I had I had some young reporters and some young college students one from the University of Mary 200 students came to Washington DC 38 hours one way on buses, no, <laughs> because they think it's that important. Mm-hmm. They like see so clearly. That this is the human rights issue of our time, and so uh, there were there were maternity home directors and and crisis pregnancy center directors, and like you've seen in, in um, previous years at this lunch, the older people, so to speak, right, who have been you know working in the for decades working on these issues they were just like thanks be to god thanks be to god like he keeps providing mm-hmm. you know workers in the vineyards. and even in the midst of the mess they understand and on saturday i spoke at a conference of ivy league college students who um who are pro-life some of them were like what do we do? I don't understand. Like, it's a mess. What do we do? And we said to them, get married, have babies, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this is more, like live virtuously. Exactly. this is this This is there's no magic sauce
0: there's no like yeah, button be a light right be a light right put your Just light and put light. your light on a mantle exactly. and let everyone see the joy in your heart and exactly. the joy and the joy in your home when when a home is well lived and and you are you are oriented properly right in regards to That's exactly to what you do mm-hmm. you and steve do <laughs> oh thank you catherine you know, Catherine, I, I think you're so right in what you say. You made two points that I think they're repeating. Number one, that the end of row was just a baby step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really hopeful way to look at it, because maybe my maybe my feeling of having caught the car and not knowing what to do with it is that we had this idea that there was going that the end of row was going to bring about this this whole new a whole new landscape and in a sense it has but not not what right. we were so hopefully expecting or maybe what we had convinced ourselves was going to happen so the landscape is new but there are workers in the vineyard as you say and they are young and they're enthusiastic and they are full of the future and of possibility for us like it's not it's not like we're not we don't have anyone to pass the baton to there right. are right. there are young eager lovely Young men and women that understand what's at stake and who have that strength, that that strength of youth, to to bring a culture of life to birth in the future.
3: And I think it's so important, Gracie, to 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 realize that even the Catholic Church hasn't taught what we need to teach in the last decades, and the sexual revolution has really hurt young people. Gracie, it is so humbling to realize like the Catholic church hasn't even taught in the last decades what the beautiful life is, what beauty is, what, um, what goodness is. And so that, young people even have any sense of what, you know, marriage and family is, is a miracle, honestly.
0: No, that's right. And, and something we should stop and appreciate, right?
3: Exactly. Exactly. And I was just so overwhelmed by these kids uh, um, at this Ivy League conference, many of whom were Catholic, who, um, who get it. Who get it? Who get that like Paul VI was right when he, mm-hmm. he were in humanity and they wanna live that life. They wanna live virtuously. And um and I've been that's thinking, what's gonna end abor- abortion in America.
0: And you know what I've been thinking lately is that the sexual revolution didn't didn't end didn't just result in millions of abortions and the sexual revolution also has has delivered a life devoid of devoid of romance right so sex oh for sure sex uh accompanied when sex comes along with 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 children and family with with marriage and children that's that's romantic right that's that's forward thinking and full of the future and and full sense. of possibility but when you right. take sex and you say oh sex is just just pleasure um then you're making you're turning sex into something that's not even that's not even uh, desirable. As we're seeing, people don't e- aren't even having sex, right? That we we've divorced sex from f- children and marriage and family, but we've also divorced it from romance and and true ple- pleasure, like true lasting um, fulfillment that it's supposed to be surrounded with. Um, and I think that maybe young people are also turning against that right that that yeah. reduction the reductionism <laughs> of sex into something so tiny and, and inconsequential as physical pleasure
3: well that's what i found so um encouraging for the second year in a row about this COVID network conference the ivy league kids they they Like, they want something more. They see something more. Um, And they understand that what the culture is selling them is not true or beautiful you know it's
0: not even uh, interesting or or, or compelling. not even interesting
3: right exactly mm-hmm. and um yeah no they're smart <laughs> they're smart in the wisest of ways and um yeah no and that's exactly what we need to uh, to help accompany them in you know um yeah yeah, no, there's so much in our culture that is not real, you know, and it's not true. And they know it and they want adults to walk with them. And so that's what we need to do. And that's that's how we end abortion in America. You know, we, we love young people and we accompany them and you know there are ministries like witness to love which is about uh, marriage mentoring and um springs of love which is about walking with couples who want to adopt and those are the kind of things that we need to emphasize in the church more and more and they're lay ministries and uh and yeah, again, the witness of you and Steve—it's just like so important. Apologetics,
0: and Catherine, the uh, your your truth. Catherine, in your piece, you pointed at at a kind of a connection or or, or or forming forming close and warm bonds with the other side. I think that's what you were getting at in your piece. Mm, Ex- explain right. that to me.
3: Yeah, no, I was rereading um, a book about, um, th- that was, so in New York, um, Mayor Ed Koch, w- who was a consequential New York mayor, and uh, Cardinal O'Connor, who founded the Sisters of Life, they were good friends, um, but they did not agree on abortion or a lot of other things. But um, I was rereading it, and Mayor Koch talks about how one particular pro life woman would just like sit with him and talk to him and find common ground with him. And this is something that's so foreign to us right now, you know. Um, But it's so important. Like, as you were saying, adoption, foster care. Like, if we don't care about kids in foster care, we are not pro-life. Absolutely. Period. So true. Mm -hmm. And so, but there, there are so many... There are so many moments that we could find common ground on. Um, again, foster care, uh, adoption, paid family leave. Like, there are all these things that there's no incentive for p- political, in, in politics, for this, but the gospel m- mandates that we find common ground on these things. and um,
0: and there may be more pressure, there may be more common ground opening up before us in the next few years, right? Like there are parts of the sexual revolution that are unfolding, which I see the left or the the more liberal side of our culture. Opening their eyes too, right? Like we saw that with the Me Too movement, for instance, or you know, people are waking up to certain things that they they can see are egregiously wrong. Maybe they're not ready to talk about abortion that way, but other things they they are waking up to, right? Like a like a sexual ethic reduced to consent, and now they're saying, wait, wait, no, that's not working, right? Like that's that exposes a lot of women, especially to to coercive situations, or and other things, maybe surrogacy, right? So right, is which sort of, Pope Francis uh-huh. just talked, talked about, uh-huh. right? And Laudato Si, I,
3: I thought when the Pope came out with that encyclical, I thought, you know what, like he's talking about marriage and family as creation, like this is, this is green,
0: you know? This is green, the like, human, human ecology, right? Like say, well, the, exactly. there's, there's a planetary ecology and then there's human ecology and both are important. Yeah, no, there's, a,
3: if we are more creative, there is a possibility here, you know, mm-hmm. um, we just have to not live in, as Pope Francis says, our ideological silos, mm-hmm. and no, and actually, so like, meet each other mm-hmm. um, in on these issues, because it's, I mean, at the end of the day, as john of the cross talks about we we are going to be judged on love. and so how are we doing that in the mix of all of this ridiculous politics and everything else.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, we i think we have to start by assuming the the best of our opponents right, because right. so many i've i've talked to many people who support abortion who do so because they really are compassionate and they really do think that that's the compassionate way to be. I, I they think want, that they're wrong, they but know I know that it or, comes from their heart, that from their best right. intentions.
3: And we've, for years, Gracie, we've talked about uh, you need to know that someone is coming from a place of compassion Mm -hmm. and so if someone is pro-abortion they want to know that a woman in a difficult situation has help right
0: exactly has an
3: option and so can we meet them there right you Mm -hmm. know don't assume they want to kill babies that's not usually
0: and and many times also they're very concerned for the child that might be born into a family a family that doesn't want the child and they, and well, I've heard this expressed many times and I can understand that feeling.
3: Well, and it also goes back to the foster care issue. Like if you think the child is going to be in foster care, I understand why someone might think abortion is
0: better. Mm-hmm. I right. disagree. Right. So, yeah. You, we, you and I, think I disagree. I think they're wrong, but, right. I, but we can acknowledge. But I the, understand, right? Mm-hmm. Like
3: it's. Uh, being in foster care system is awful, right? So we need to make sure that there are no children in foster care, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Catherine, you're not going to believe that we're out of time. and Of course we are. And we could talk all day. I love the way that you... I
3: always love to talk to you.
0: But I love the way, Catherine, that you um, that you go to the heart of the issue. And when I say heart, I mean like the heart of our Lord, right? The heart of mercy and compassion and and... And I think you're absolutely right. That's the way forward on abortion. It's not to think of it as a political battle where, right. where one, one side wins and the other side is snuffed out. No.
3: There's so much pain, and so much we have pain. to heal that pain.
0: So thank you so much, Catherine Jean Lopez of National thank Review. You. Please go to see her work at nationalreview.com. And thank you. And now, Father Roger Landry offers a short and inspiring homily for this Sunday's gospel.
2: This is Father Roger Landry, and it's a joy to have a chance to ponder with you the consequential conversation Jesus wants to have with us this Sunday, when we will see him enter a synagogue on the Sabbath day and teach. All who listened to him, St. Mark tells us, were astounded at his teaching, for he taught with authority and not like the scribes. He then showed the tremendous power of his authoritative words by silencing and casting out a demon from a man, which amazed the crowd even further. They asked, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey Him. The same Jesus who entered the Capernaum synagogue on the Jewish Sabbath enters our parishes on the Christian Sabbath and He teaches with the same authority He wielded 2000 years ago. He speaks to us in the word of God and later he who created the heavens and the earth with his word, who called fishermen and tax collectors to follow him so powerfully that at his summons they immediately got up and did so, does something far more amazing than cast out a devil or silence a stormy sea. He changes bread and wine into himself, into his body and blood and casts himself into us. If we recognize what's really going on, if we awaken to the power of his words, People today, you and I, ought to be far more amazed than Jesus' first listeners two millennia ago. Jesus teaches unlike any other teacher who has ever come, before or after. His contemporaries said that he taught with authority unlike the scribes. The scribes, the ancient biblical scholars, always used to cite sacred scripture or Jewish tradition to base their teachings on the authority of the Word of God. That was obviously an appropriate way for them to teach, sharing their interpretation of God's words rather than merely their own opinions. But Jesus didn't need to cite the word of God because he is the word of God. In the Sermon on the Mount, for example, he contrasted himself to what Moses, their greatest teacher about the ways of God until then, had said to them on behalf of God in the desert. You have heard that it was said, in other words, Moses said to you, you shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, an eye for an eye and a tooth for two. But I say to you, you shall not even be angry with a brother, or look on a woman with lust in your heart, or if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn and offer him the other as well. Jesus showed he was indeed capable of saying, but I say to you, in contrast to what the greatest figure in salvation history until then had said, not just because of his bearing, but because of the way he would back that up in stupendous miracles like the exorcism he accomplished. Authority comes from the Latin word auctor, or author. And Jesus spoke with authority because he is the author, the creator of man, woman, and the world. To capture just a little of what it must have been like to listen to Jesus talk about God, the world, man, faith, and morality, it would be like listening to the Wright brothers talk about airplanes, Henry Ford talk about cars, Thomas Edison, electricity, Steve Jobs about iPhones, or John McCarthy about artificial intelligence. They could all speak with stunning authority because they were the authors, the inventors of what we now take for granted. That's just a glimpse of what it would have been like to be in that Capernaum Synagogue listening to Jesus, the author of the world, the one through whom we and all things were made. If we can't go back in a time machine to the Capernaum Synagogue, we can and should have that same experience of amazement and astonishment because the same Jesus continues to teach us with that same amazing authority today. He does so first at Mass. The fathers of the second vatican council stressed that when the holy scriptures are read in church it is christ himself who speaks that's why we stand at mass when the gospel is proclaimed out of reverence and respect for christ who himself live is announcing the words of the gospel through his minister christ does so through prayer especially when we meditate on his holy words the authority and astonishing quality of which have no expiration date christ also speaks to us through the teaching of the church to whom he gave his own amazing authority to uh, prosper his saving work. Before ascending into heaven, Jesus said to the apostles, full authority, total, astonishing and amazing authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The church has been given, we have been given, Jesus' astonishing and amazing authority with which to proclaim his words to others. Jesus forth gave that authority in a special way to the visible head of the church he founded. He told Peter that he was the rock on whom he was going to build his church, and then gave him the authority even to open and lock the way to heaven. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, he said. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The Church firmly believes that 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 authority was passed down to Peter's successors, all the way down to John Paul, Benedict, and Pope Francis, when the Pope teaches in a definitive way about the faith, binding for all Christians everywhere and in every generation. And Christ also gave his authority to the apostles as a whole, and their successors, the bishops. When Jesus sent out the apostles, he told them, Whoever hears you hears me, and whoever rejects you rejects me. That's why we listen to the bishops with reverence for when they teach in communion with Christ, they are sharing not just their opinions, but His words of eternal life. Jesus continues to teach with staggering power in each of these ways. So the first question for us today is, how do I respond to the Lord's teaching? Am I amazed and astonished by it? Am I grateful for it? If if we genuinely are, then we will do what people normally do when they're amazed. We'll behave as if we can't possibly get enough of his teaching. We'll devour the Gospels. We'll seek to enter much more deeply into his words through Bible studies, prayerful Lectio Divina, podcasts like Father Mike Schmidt's Bible in a Year, resources from the Augustine Institute, Word on Fire, Ascension Press, and more. We'll long to meet those who can open up the Word of God to us and help us experience anew Jesus' amazing and astonishing authority. There are some Catholics who live this way, Their fingerprints are all over their Bibles. They can't read, listen, and watch enough commentaries, books, and programs to help them to understand better what God is saying. They can't keep to themselves all that they're learning. They behave about God and the love letters he has given us in the Bible with even more enthusiasm than the fans of the Kansas City Chiefs, Baltimore Ravens, San Francisco 49ers, and Detroit Lions are cheering for their teams to win the Super Bowl. The second question for us with regard to Jesus' amazing, astonishing, and authoritative teaching is obviously, do I act on it? Do I hear Jesus' words as words to be done and lived? Or am I what St. James would call an idle listener, allowing Jesus' words to fall on hard and rocky or thorny soil bearing no fruit? If we genuinely recognize the awesome gift of Jesus' teaching, we'll respond to it, even when it's challenging, by trying to align our life to it as we seek to unite our whole life to Jesus, the Word made flesh. The model for us in doing so is always Our Lady, who responded to the Lord's amazing and astonishing words to her through the Archangel Gabriel by saying, Let it be done to me according to your word. Mary is interceding for us to show our amazement by receiving God's help to become living commentaries of everything God says to us, to digest and assimilate every word that comes from his mouth. One of my favorite Catholic hymns, one that I had sung at my first Mass of Thanksgiving and regularly sing or say to God in prayer, is Word of God, come down on earth. The lyrics summarize the type of amazement we're supposed to have to God's Word. We pray at the beginning, Word of God, come down on earth, living rain from heaven descending. Touch our hearts and bring to birth faith and hope and love unending. Word Almighty, we revere you. Word made flesh, we long to hear you. We're called to long for God's word more than a parched man longs for water. The second verse continues. Word eternal, throned on high. Word that brought to life creation. Word that came from heaven to die, crucified for our salvation. Saving word, the world restoring. Speak to us your love outpouring. When God speaks to us, he is pouring out his love. The third verse focuses on the power of God's word. Word that cause blind eyes to see, speak and heal our mortal blindness. Deaf we are, our healer be, loose our tongues to tell your kindness. Be our word in pity spoken, heal the word by our sin broken. And the final verse turns to the union between the two tables at Mass, the table of God's Word and the table of the Eucharist. We sing... Word that speaks your Father's love, one with Him beyond all telling. Word that sends us from above, God the Spirit, with us dwelling. Word of truth, to all truth lead us. Word of life, with one bread feed us. Jesus is that Word of God. He's the one who comes down on earth to touch us, tender to into Holy Communion with us this sunday as we prepare to hear his word at mass we likewise get ready to shout with gratitude thanks be to god and praise to you lord jesus christ we turn to him and ask him to touch us in such a way as to make us burn for him with longing and amazement to help soften in us whatever hardness there is in our hearts so that led to all truth and nourished by him we may become the echoes of his astonishing and amazing word among our family and friends in this world and one day among the choirs of saints and angels in eternal awe around heavenly throne god bless you
0: with that i leave you and thank you again for being our listeners and we continue to pray for you always